Okay, so let's start with the no criminal threat. Om Namo Arihantanam Om Namo Sitanam Om Namo Ayariyanam Om Namo Ajayanam Namo Loe Savasahunam Eso Panchana Omkaro Sarvapavapanasano Mangalalancha Sardesim Paramam Havay Mangalam Paramam Havay Mangalam All right, so did anybody focus on what the words mean that I time? I did. You did? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So today we're going to see if that, if that meaning is correct. So, who can tell me what the Nokar Mantra means? What do the words mean? Last time we focused on why we should do that. So now let's focus on actually doing that. Come <laughs> also. What does the first line mean? That's the easiest one. I pray to the Arihants. I bow down to the Arihants, right? Okay. Now, who are the Arihants? All the sadhu, sadhvi. No, those are the sadhus, right? So arihants. Oh, okay. The the tirthankars. Arihants are the tirthankars in human form. In human form, right? Correct. Okay. So what's the next line? Siddhas. I bow down to the siddhas. Okay. Who are the siddhas? I think those are the ones who are the actual tirthankars in the soul. Correct. The wording is a little bit wrong, right? So they're the liberated souls, but they have not set up the Jain order. Remember, there's lots more liberated souls than just the Dirtankar. There's not just 24 liberated souls. There's many, many, many liberated souls, and you and I could become one of them, and that's who we're uh, bowing down to. Okay, so the next line. Hairyanam is all the Acharyas. Right. Who are the Acharyas? They're the hierarchy, right? They're the... Who says the mission? They're living. They're still living, right? They're the overseers of our spiritual education. They're the they're the top uh, monks and nuns. Okay. So the next line. So is that self-appointed or is that appointed? I have no idea how you become an acharya. It's an appointed. By the other sadhus. By the other acharyas. Sadhus. No, by the other sadhus and acharyas. It has to be. I'm just asking. Yeah. Sure, yeah, that's a good. Who are betters, right? We have to know how they uh, got there. Well, like, we'll I want to become one. I want to, like, sign up, right? You know? <laughs> very, very few will be Right, well, that's what I'm saying, right? And that's a problem, right? That we don't know? Or we don't know anything about them? Or that's... That's a problem, right? I don't know. It's a problem. We, just because we don't know, doesn't mean a problem. We just got to find out how to, you know, how that works. Last year, I went to India in August, and I... I had a chance to see one of the Acharyas. Therapanthis, mm-hmm. they had an Acharya uh, back there, Pravachans. How was it? Yeah, it was good. Uh, but Did you, was, were you able to ask any questions? No. No. no, no. It, was, it was obviously monologue. Okay. They, they gave a Pravachan for about an hour. And uh, what was surprising is uh, when he walked out, he was given a grand uh, exit. Uh, like there was music behind, there was Azimo Shasha and so, that kind of a thing. I didn't expect that. 
we right. have Sthanakwasi, so we just went there because there was a big diksha. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. multiple people, like a group of people? Correct. Right. That's great. Yeah, and that's more for the people, all that music and stuff. Yes, yes. Just, for the to, Ajari, just right. to pull the crowd <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so, Namo Ujjayanam. Who, who is that? What does that mean? It means I bow down to the Upadhyas. Upadhyas. Who are the Upadhyas? You can remember that because you and that's you. That's all the nun and monks, right? That's Sadhusadha. No, that's Sadhusadha. So Upadhyas will be between the Acharyas and Sadhusadha. That's right, exactly. It's one one step on the hierarchy down. So who would that be? Name no. So, so <laughs> <laughs> There are many Upadhyas. So uh, the one who then becomes Acharya? Is that the... Yes. Oh. So, so Acharya would be... The one who would set the mission. If you look at here, like you have the, the board of directors, and, and then you have the executive committees, and then you have so that's hierarchy, right? So Acharya and then Upadhyay. Upadhyay is going to be taking this type of lectures and more and more every day to day activities. What's happening? Observing the path has been set by the Acharya. Hmm. Yeah, Acharya has set the path. Hmm. Upadhyay will walk the path and make sure that things happen. And the sadhu sadhu is actually the day-to-day interaction with people. Mm. Right. So the next, the next one, namo loe sabasahunam. That's I bow down to the sadhus Sadhus and sadhus. Right. And so completing the no kar mantra, um, these five for this panch parmesti. When you bow down to all of the panch parmesti, you can eradicate all your sins. And this prayer is the foremost among all that is auspicious. So there's this thing, right? Well, that's one way to look at it. So you can think about when you say the Nokar Mantra, you can think about, well, I bow down to these people. And you can think about, oh, these are the different people. But then that begs the question, why am I bowing down to these people? Right? What, what is the purpose of bowing down to these people? I know I'm supposed to, I know I'm not worshipping them people. I'm worshipping their characteristics. I'm wishing that... I could rearrange my life to emulate those characteristics. But then what are those characteristics? Right? We just keep on asking, you know, when we say what something means, we can go back and back and back and back. But here's where we're going to stop, these characteristics. I'm going to tell you that we're going to talk about 108 characteristics that we think about. And so if you think about that, well, if you have 108 things to think about, this is the only prayer you need, right? You could think about one of these a day, one of these every time you do the prayer. You can think about how they interact, right? So this is enough, right? So let's talk about 108 um, attributes of the Panch Parmesti, which we call it. So uh, uh, interesting beginning. So the scriptural name of the Nokar Mantra is the Namaskar Mahamangal Sutra, which is very fancy. Um, sometimes that's called the Namaskar Mangal Sutra. Later, we, it was changed to the Namaskar Mantra. And then later, for common people, it's called the Nokar Mantra. So, if you like to be fancy, then you can call it the Namaskar Mahamangal Sutra. So, okay, so we have 108 attributes. And that's how many beads are on a mala, right? 108? Okay, so maybe that's a good reason why. 
So the Arihants have 12, the Siddhas have 8, Acharyas have 36, Upadhyas have 25, Sadhus and Sadhvis have 27, and that makes for a total of 108. Some of them overlap, so we won't, we don't have to go through, uh, you don't have to make a list of 108 in your notebook there. So let's talk about Arihants. So Arihants are Tirthankars in human form. Uh, they've gotten rid of the four Gati Karmas and they still have Agati and when uh, those are destroyed then they become Siddhas, right? Um, the, um, they set up the four, fourfold, four or fivefold order of the Jain Sung and they have twelve attributes. The four main attributes are omniscience, they deliver extraordinary sermons for the benefit of humanity, they're worshipped by the common people, and they don't, no calamities or diseases exist in their vicinity. Okay, um, these four attributes are sometimes, uh, different sects believe that the four attributes are infinite knowledge, infinite perception, perfect conduct, and infinite energy, which we talked about are the characteristics of all souls, right? But they have, they express them because they have gotten rid of these karmas. There are eight other attributes. The lesser attributes, a divine sit, seat from where the Arihant delivers his sermon, a halo behind his head, okay, so that's why you see that depicted in all the paintings and artwork, angels waving fans to honor their greatness, a three-tiered divine umbrella over the head which suggests that he is the spiritual king of the entire universe that consists of hell, earth, and heaven. You remember that... Um, as we did our geography class. The next one, a tree under which he sits to deliver his sermons. The next one, a continuous shower of fragrant flowers. The next one, a divine announcement declaring their sermons. And the last one, celestial music accompanying their sermons. So what's the point of all this? Like, why am I supposed to, when I say a prayer, like, why am I supposed to remember, like, showers falling over the Aryan's head or... <laughs> Why am I supposed to... Why is that important that that's an attribute? One step more than what we have. <laughs> I don't know, you know, maybe it's supposed to... It's not, you know... Maybe it's supposed to appeal to your... To your senses, right? Even though it's wrong, right? It's a, we learned very early on that it's wrong. Like, why am I supposed yeah, sure. to? Why do I want flowers? Why do I want a slave waving a fan behind me? You know, why is that something to emulate? I have no idea. I don't have an answer for you. Okay, so let's let's just maybe think about these four ones. These four ones are good to emulate. So we're just at, know that we're these other ones are there. We're at one hundred four. <laughs> Instead of 108, we're at 104. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's maybe that's some some something to ask the Acharya when you meet him next. Is why am I supposed to know that? Why am I supposed to feel some kind of way knowing that he exit, sits under a tree? You can on his exit, you, you can stop all of that. You know? No dole, no this, no that, no grand Tell exit. Me this, tell me this. Stop, stop all of this now. <laughs> so here's some interesting things that'll stick in your mind. Also of questionable relevance to your soul. By birth, the Arihant has the most beautiful, powerful, and proportionally built body with 1,008 birthmarks. Okay? His blood is white like milk. So that's why, you know, when the snake bit Mahavir in the foot, then white, what was appeared to be white milk came out. 
His breath is fragrant like a lotus, okay? So he never has to brush his teeth. His body does not generate any waste, which is nice. That would be a good thing to have. And he is always disease-free. He, can, he has a very soothing voice that can be heard from long distances. Humans and animals can understand his sermons. He can be seen and heard in all four directions at the same time. And everyone listens to his sermons. When they listen to it, they keep their animosities aside. In his vicinity, the weather is always pleasant and no calamities for miles. As we said, disease-free all around him. I'm not sure why we need to know these things either. But maybe, you know, maybe there's something to aspire to. So maybe, you know, maybe it's supposed to appeal to our, you know, lesser instincts, right? Our non-ideal instincts that, oh, maybe, you know, this is something to be or this is something to respect. I'm not sure. Questions on the Arihants. I'm sorry I don't have answers for you today for some of these questions. Okay, so Siddhas. As we said, Siddhas are the non-Tirthankar liberated souls, and when the Tirthankar dies, he becomes a Siddha just like everybody else. Eight attributes. Uh, we went over these. You know these by heart probably by now. Infinite knowledge, infinite perception. Hey, come on in. A perfect conduct, infinite energy, uninterrupted happiness, immortality, formlessness, and equal with all other Siddhas. So that's interesting. The book says that each Siddha has its own personality, but it's equal with all the other ones. So there's not like a difference in power or characteristics, but apparently each soul is an individual. And that, uh, hey, come on in. And that uh, makes us different from something like Buddhism, right? Where it's uh, more emphasis on the collective and everybody is the same soul or the same person or we're all the same kind of... But here is a, I think we delineate this often because we want to differentiate ourselves from Buddha. So all these souls in moksha are all different, but uh, they all have the same characteristics. Today we're talking about the 108 attributes of the Panchapurmesti. So last week we talked about, well, it's important to know what the prayers mean, right? And it's important to think about what they mean. And I suggested that if you think about something else, you're not doing it correctly. So this, this time we're going to say, well, what do, well, what does it mean? So we talked about, um, we talked about the literal meanings of the words. I bow down to the Aryans. I bow down to the Siddhas. And now we're talking about, well, what does it mean? Why am I bowing down to these people? And you're, we're bowing down to these people because they exhibit 108 attributes. Arihants exhibit uh, 12, and now we're on Siddhas, which exhibit 8 attributes. And these are the attributes we want to emulate. Is there a significance of number 108? It comes up quite often. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think... I can't tell you that there's an overarching significance other than the areas which it comes up. I don't know why it's the same number throughout these things. But we discussed earlier, it's probably that's why there's 108 beads on the mala because you're gonna, you, we, wanna, we want to think about these 108 attributes. Okay, so Acharyas. 36 attributes of the Acharya. Remember that these are people, they're people alive today. Um, uh, we had a meeting with an Acharya, but no questions allowed. Did you listen to the sermon? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. how was it? Yeah, I mean, uh, at that point in time, you feel good about 
whatever is being and, and if you're going continuously I mean yeah. almost for a week then you can follow because otherwise it becomes difficult to we normally will talk about something from like a story and then it goes on for like 7 to 10 days <laughs> so that way that keeps the motivation to go every day yeah morning. that's great yeah. like a cereal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And he, he breaks it exactly at the point where you know, it is very curious That's a secret better of than, the job. Yeah. Better than Netflix. I it's a trick to <laughs> the trade. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the Acharyas carry on the teachings of the last Tirthankar Bhagwan Mahavir. They are spiritual leaders and they are um, responsible for the welfare, our spiritual welfare. So that's a problem if we don't know the names of any Acharya, right? They have 36 attributes. The first five are control over their five senses. The next nine are the ways to guard against sensual pleasure. So this is good. Um, remember we talked about Brahmacharya as one of our minor vows. And well, how do we want to practice it? Well, here are nine ways to practice it. Uh, they're really extreme ways, but... Don't stay near a place where persons of the opposite sex, eunuchs, or animals live. Don't be alone with the person of the opposite sex. Don't observe the body of the person of the opposite sex. Remember, they control their sight, right? So they're not, uh, they can control where their eyes look. Don't sit at the same place where a person of the opposite sex has been sitting until a decent amount of time has passed. Don't listen to the conversations of a couple and don't live in a place where you must share a common wall with a couple on the other side. Don't think about any sensual pleasures or experiences of the past. Don't consume intoxicating foods or liquids because, you know, that might lead to sex. Don't eat tasty food. Eat simple food in moderation. This is not the non-sexual version of pleasure. These are pleasures of the other senses. And don't adorn or decorate your body and wear simple clothes. So if you're looking for ways to practice brahmacharya, these are nine good ways, and they're nine attributes. The next, of course, we've discussed many times. They're free and detached from the four passions, krodh, man, maya, lobh, which are anger, ego, deceit, and greed. The next we've also discussed many times. They observe the five great vows. We observe the five minor vows. Um, well, how do they differ from each other? Well, let's talk about it briefly. Nonviolence. Complete and total commitment to nonviolence. Truthfulness, speak only the harmless truth. Remember, a harmful truth is not truth at all, even if it's factually true. Take only those things which are duly given. Okay, that's the highest version of non-stealing. Celibacy is complete and total avoidance of sensual pleasure and non-possessiveness. The highest form is no money, no property, no ornaments. The only thing you have is a clothing on your back and one pot to accept the food that is given to you. The next five attributes are the five codes of conduct, which we've briefly discussed. Um, the right, right knowledge, right faith, right conduct regarding ascetic life, and right conduct regarding observation of the austerities. And then right mental, verbal, and physical abilities. The next five are the five samitis. The, remember how we be careful, carefulness in movement, speech, accepting alms, handling clothes, and getting rid of your bodily waste. Remember, this is how we practice samvar. We talked about this during samvar. The next three are restraints of thoughts, language, and physical activities, man, vachan, and gaya. And those are 36. And there's a nice table here. 
five nine four five 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 three equals thirty six. So the Digambar tradition has thirty six attributes, which are a little bit different, totally different. Not eating for a set period of time, eating less than is needed. Again, we are the religion about eating. Penance, staying in a forlorn place, being a, kind of a hermit. Um, these next ones are um, repentance, humility, selfless service, meditation. So these are all actions. The next are the ten virtues, which we talked about at length. Forgiv forgiveness, humility, straightforwardness, satya or contentedness. Truth, restraint of all the senses, austerities, renunciation, non-possessiveness, celibacy. The next ones are right faith, knowledge, conduct, austerity, energy, vigor. These overlap with the previous. The next one are prayer, devotion, studying of scriptures, self-restraint, penance, imparting of knowledge. And the last three are control over mind, speech, and body. That's the 36 Digambar traditions of the Acharyas. So questions about that. Questions about the Acharyas and why we're supposed to emulate their conduct when we pray. So this is a lot to think about when you pray, right? This is like, this could take up your whole life is to think about 108 of these things, right? Uh, this could take up your whole existence. And that's why we say that this Namaskar Mangal Sutra is the foremost among all that is auspicious, right? Because this is Jainism as a nutshell. What I'm doing is recapping for you all of Jainism that we've ever learned, right? And so that's contained in the Nokar Mantra because it contains the 108 attributes, right? Last time we talked about that, why, for example, uh, if we say Nokar Mantra before eating, Yes. What does it what does that have to do with food? Food, right? But well, here yeah. we learn about it. Here, exactly. It says everything to do with our food. Right? <laughs> it reminds you about how acharyas uh, treat the food. Uh, and earlier you said, I mean, as you know, I mean, you were religion about the food. Right. And our, our uh, you know, Aryan said the acharya upadhyaya. They all uh, signify some amount of non-attachment with food or taste or things like that. So, I guess there is a connection. Between, I think so. Between the uh, food and, and saying that beforehand, and if we think about it in, in terms of understanding it, let's mm -hmm. say even Acharya, since we're on Acharya right now, that okay, these are the, uh, you know, Acharyas do not eat, consume food for uh, intoxicating food or liquids and things like that. So we can keep that in mind during we do the prayer before that. Sure. But when you ask the question, were you thinking about that no. when you said the prayer no. before the food? No. Right, okay. Absolutely not. So now that now that your mind has changed, now my answer for you is yes. Yeah. <laughs> so when you said the Nankar and you know you're going to have idli sambar for lunch, yeah. you're like, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to have four idlis or two idlis, right? You're trying to minimize, right? That's what you're thinking about, right? Right. <laughs> That's the next step. <laughs> <laughs> so questions about the Aryans. Okay, so let's move on to the next one, Upadhyas. Upadhyas are the title given to sadhus who have acquired complete knowledge of the Jain scriptures, remember the Agams, which are lost to us, and philosophical systems. They teach the scriptures to us, lay people. And they have 25 <laughs> attributes. Uh, the... Attributes are the symbolic representation of the 25 James scriptures that they study. Okay, so 11, 11 Agams, the canonical text, uh, 12, or sorry, uh, 
So 11 Anga Agams, compiled by Ganadar, who were the immediate disciples of Tirthankar. 12 Upanga Agams, which were compiled by Shruta Kevalis Acharyas. One scripture of proper conduct, known as the Charan Satari, and one scripture of proper practice, known as the Karan Satari. Anybody read these books, these scriptures? No, no idea, see. So, whose fault is that? Is that our fault? Is that an Upadhyaya's fault? Is that an Acharya's fault? Or some combination of the three? I think they are written in uh, a language which we cannot right, completely right, understand. Prakrit, right? Prakrit, So, what, what Acharyas or what uh, Sadhus have done is they've tried to translate them into Hindi mm -hmm. and with giving some meaningful uh, descriptions in between along with stories that makes it slightly more easy to comprehend or read right but still it needs a lot of patience and time to then go through it. so that's a problem right I'm receiving like fifth-hand information that's been translated through three languages this book is in English right and it's been translated from Hindi or Gujarati, which has been translated from Prakrit. And I'm getting that kind of filtered down through everybody's brain by the person that writes this book and the person that translated it. So that's a problem, right? Google might not have it. Google doesn't have it. <laughs> I think it's a problem um, for the very detailed detailed questions that I might have. I don't think it's a problem for the very the basics. The things that need that I need to liberate my soul, I don't think it's a problem. I think that's been translated fine. But for the very kind of detailed, nuanced questions, I think it's a problem. One thing I do know, and, and part of the reason it's not on Google yet, because at least my understanding of this on this topic is we as Jain Samaj hasn't invested enough in it. Right. Because if we would have from you know resource standpoint, it would uh, it would have that available to us. Mm -hmm. I do know now uh, at least uh, uh, at least one Marat Sahib and his uh, uh, his uh, followers, his uh, sadhus are doing this work. Uh, they're going into Adichar, analyzing it, and uh, understanding it. There's, these are all gold gold medal ITs that are working on it right now. Uh, that have taken Diksha. Now, one thing I, I see is, as I hear them or I've heard from them, that as a Samaj, apparently we haven't invested enough in this. Right. I mean, those who are doing research, I mean, you know, this is not a, uh, a commercially funded research which uh, flows through, you know, medical and things like that. Yeah. Whereas here, it's, it's just, it, it's the pace is slow because of that reason. Right. Also the last year, oh, sorry, also the population or, or number of Jains in the world itself is, if you compare this with anything like say Christianity where they have funds almost, there's no times, just look at Vatican and, and their funding, right, mm -hmm. versus what we have mm -hmm. and how we channelize that money to, to be able to get something onto Google or even to have, uh, for example, these things translated and be available as a common searchable word. Yeah. <coughs> I think yeah, there is some, there are some steps being taken to get that, uh, but we, we are still very far away. Yeah. 
So, so last year we had a lecture over here mm -hmm. uh, from the uh, UT professors who came over here and mm -hmm. gave us uh, that they have obviously they can't teach the religion, religion in the in the universities, but they have started uh, base of the Jainism and started teaching the Prakrit to Sanskrit translation. And a lot of uh, kids have joined that, uh, which is based on the Jainism, <laughs> and also the rice is now we are offering uh, Mahavir. Uh, what is it? The scholarship on the name of Mahavish Swami and all that. So we have the classes <coughs> in Rice University here too. Yeah. I think Sulekinkal, uh, he has done a tremendous job around the US at least. Um, people from Hungary, Belgium, a lot of professors, they are getting involved. And a um, lot of uh, the base is still, you know, yet to be formalized, but then a lot of movement happening. Uh, there are some vocal Sanskrit. Uh, series on YouTube uh, that has started as well, not based on Jainism, but it comes from Prakrit to Sanskrit, Sanskrit to uh, other languages. Um, India has a lot of, like you said, a lot of different uh, sadhus and sadhus and acharyas, and but the all I see right now is, like you mentioned, you know, when he was going back, you know, there's a lot of celebration. So now it's like. My panth is better than your panth, and that yeah, comparison that, has started a lot, which is anti-Jain uh, concept. But that it goes hand to hand. So there seem to be some roadblocks in the flow of information, right, from the top to the bottom, and that's how it's supposed to right. be. The information is supposed to flow from the top to the bottom, but we're like in the dark. We're not getting it. You know, we we need some kind of channel. We need to dig a channel to get that flow of information to us, right? And they're not supposed to, you know, use vehicle to travel, right? I mean, uh -huh. so coming over here and doing this uh, thing compared to other religion, yeah. they can freely travel. Swaminara and Buddhist monks can travel compared to Jain monks. So, so what, do, what does a sadhvi or sadhu want in order to be resident here? They don't want money, right? What do they want? Do they want a place to preach? Do they want a place to live? Do they want what can we offer a resident sadhu and sadhvi to attract one here and keep one here? Only way to do it, I think, is person take diksha over here, stay <laughs> yeah. here. Right. And and then uh, I mean, everything is so far off, right? If you compare yeah. to take any city in India, say Mumbai or any any yeah. sadhus can just go one kilometer and get there. Right. But here, imagine if, if they are staying here, I don't know if there is any house well, in within a mile or so. But they, they are not supposed to stay at one place too, right? Every oh, Chomasu, right? Yeah. Then you have to, you just settle in one place for Chomasu because of uh, monsoon season, season right? Correct. You stay in one place, but other than that, they are constantly moving around the entire India. Right? Yeah. So yeah. We could have one move around the entire the United US. States, right? Even if, even if we had like one or two moving around, then, then we'd get one once a month or something. Then right? I could ask him a question about yeah. <laughs> what you guys talk about. Or you can go to Acharya and convince them to deploy someone. We have right? those, uh, three but what do they want? Yeah. Well, uh, I can't ask you. What do? Huh? Yeah, I don't know. Right? Well, they must want. There must be an exchange of some kind, right? to get somebody here, like, but they don't want money, they don't want food, they don't want... Do they want a flock of people to shepherd? Mm -hmm. well, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. not. I don't know what a sadhu or sadhvi wants. 
Well, I mean, there are other religions who brings. So first, I mean, we we have this limitation for our sadhu and sadhvi. But if we think about it, what we really need is the knowledge, right? Absolutely. We want to learn from them. Yeah. Actually, sadhus and sadhvis are taught by the pundits mm-hmm. who are allowed to travel, mm-hmm. like uh, Champak by pundit and all the others. They're allowed to travel. So if you're just hungry for uh, knowledge, we we can get pundits. There are, there are lots of them who are willing to come. Oh, we don't need them to come. We need to Skype. <laughs> right. It's, <laughs> it's different. In fact, Chinmaya Mission brings them. Uh, BAPS brings them. JBB uh, brings them. So what what we really need is uh, I've seen even in small Beaumont community where there is a they they employ two. Uh, it's uh, one is just a priest who does all the priest activities, and other is just uh, this brahmacharya, and they actually both are salaried. And even though this person is brahmacharya. I mean, obviously, you know, he he needs living. So those commitments are required. And the challenge so, is to have accommodations for them, the insurance and things like that. Uh, it's At the end of the day, there's financial support is required, whether they take money themselves right. or their family members or things right. like that. Right. I, I, I think the commitment from community. And the second thing that also is important, I, for example, if you're hungry for knowledge, if we're if you're ready, if you require a medicine for diabetes, we're gonna somehow fund the diabetes by paying enough money for it, right? So if you're hungry for knowledge for this pundits or sadhus or sadhvis, have you have you ever heard about a fund gathered here in terms of funding Jainism Jainism learnings? Right. I, I mean, even sadhus sadhvis nowadays in in uh, in India, what I've heard is what they say. You know, we we definitely don't want money. Sadhus can't keep money, but what they want is to pay to the pundits so they can teach the sadhu sadhvis. There are a lot of people taking diksha, but they, they have to have a fruitful knowledge. So now they right. can take this information and, and bring it to us. Yeah, so you think there might not be enough interest and that's why we don't see it, right? Because well, if there was that, we, we would have seen, the, there's, there's we would have seen interest, a box in the temporary. Yeah, it's exactly. There may be interest, but it's not priority. Yeah, It's a minority interest right now, but everybody is in that competition of who looks better and it's not you know converting Prakrit to Sanskrit you can become uh, a top uh, person by doing that it's it's uh, a lot of time and effort that's uh, that's required so it's uh, it's unfortunate but that's where I I mean you know my family members are addiction that's what I hear mm-hmm. so that's where the the biggest thing is right now to teach one person for one month to this sadhu right now is 15,000 rupees a month the Pandit will come and teach them and you have to recognize that they, they travel. So this pundit will either, you know, from their vicinity or that pundit is traveling and teaching them. But that's an expense. I mean, they, they can't take money. So how would they, they bear this expense? Yeah. So, I'm not clear on this. So pundit is teaching sadhus, sadhus. Yeah. Why are there senior acharyas or whoever that level of hierarchy is not teaching, you know, why is... Uh, Person who's because they're the board of trustees. They're long, long-range vision. Yeah. Seriously, it is. The that's how the hierarchy is. They don't go teach. They tell someone to get taught. They already know. Listen, it. if you if if I'm looking for an MBA for my company, I don't go teach an MBA. I hire someone that's an MBA. So I tell them that here, I'll fund your MBA. You go to MBA. I'm just giving you a realistic example. That can be different in uh, this reality. The fact that this person who's just learned it. And I don't know how, how much experience they have, right? A lot. A lot. They, they, if you ask like a, a pundit, like, like really technical questions, they'll bring the sheet back and they'll say, okay, this is how we start. I've seen these guys like draw things 
like, how did you come up with that, right? And they're like, well, this came from this, and this came from this, and this came from this. If you really, like, those guys that really teach, like, there's this Dhiraj Bhai Mehta, he's a pundit, he's been coming here for years. I used to shoot the videos at our temple, actually, it used to happen at our house before our temple, of him speaking. And people would come two and a half hours, they would have lunch, and then we would have another two and a half hours, a five-hour day, Saturday and Sunday. And it would start on Friday for two hours, then five hours on Saturday, five hours on Sunday. 80 people used to show up religiously because he had a way of the Netflix, right? He had the, he had the, you know, the line that he would break at a certain point saying, well, think about this and come back tomorrow, right? And he would do that and he was very, very good at doing that. You know what? It's, it's funny you say that. I probably even have all these VHSs. I'm going to bring you one because of that. You know, I'm going to tell my dad to ship one for me. But it's, it's it, just to see how detailed it is. It's not like, well, by the way, it's like this, right? I mean, and I've just seen it from my own experience, you know, but they teach, like there are other sadhus or sadhvis that I've met and they're like, yeah, yeah I went to his school. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> like, you know? So there's definitely some fundamental behind that. In, in the other words, I mean, you know, the Acharya who became Acharya, right? That you were expecting to lead a flock of 40 people or things like that. That Acharya already has, uh, let's say he expert, expert, he's an expert in, in one side, but then he wants his entire uh, group of sadhus to learn different things. So he may or may not know, I mean, he may have learned one agam out of this in his life because there's so much knowledge and so much, he can't learn everything and teach everything to his uh, followers. Well, his all sadhus. I'm saying is if the Pandit has it, then how, why is it not possible for Acharya to write? It, they like, can like Acharya can can expert like he can learn from one pundit for Dhirajbhai and he's expert on Dhirajbhai so he will cover that topic but then there's another topic that com that is learned by Champakbhai and he's expert on this one he, he the, the Acharya never got to the Champakbhai and learned that so he's sending his his disciple to Champakbhai and then third and fourth and fifth so that you you get it's kind of like as much as possible structure man. yeah politics well politics is one part of it but yeah I mean like. You know, the CEO doesn't know about HR, he hires an HR manager, right? Like, right. so, like, that's how this is kind of funneling out. So, just to complete the circle, there are 27 attributes of the sadhus and sadhvis, which we've been discussing. Remember, they are the people, they're householders that took diksha and then um, they renounce the world and then they become sadhus and sadhvis. The. So, their attributes are the five Mahavrats, which we discussed, to protect. Um, one sense beings, remember we talked about one sense beings, including fire, water, earth, and air, to control their pleasures, five pleasures, five senses, which we discussed, the five samitis we discussed, control mind, body, and speech, not to eat before sunrise and after sunsets, forgiveness, avoidance of greed, endure hardship, endure suffering, be introspective, keep the heart pure, I'm not sure what... what what that is, that might be one of the translation things. Is that eat ghee or is that, <laughs> you know what that means? Keep the heart pure. I'm not sh really sure <laughs> what that means. Um, so uh, there are some, uh, as with the previous ones, sometimes these 27 are counted differently. Um, we have, uh, what are the differences here? Oh, the we talk about the bhavnas and the guptis. And then conquering of Parishahas, which is enduring hardships. 
And uh, this one is the big difference, San Lekana, which is endurance and fearlessness towards death and the associated pains. That's what we're all striving for, San Lekana, right? Is to be courageous in the face of death and all the aches and pains, spiritual, mental, and physical, that dying brings about. So, the attributes of the sadhus in Digambar tradition um, are five Mahavrats, of course, five Samitis, five senses, six essentials. Um, not sure what those are. The book doesn't go into detail about that. Six other attributes, no bathing, plucking your own hair, sleeping on the floor, no brushing your teeth, eating food in a distending posture only, and eating once a day. Remember, these remind yourself that the body is different from the soul, right? It doesn't matter what your breath smells like. It doesn't matter whether you take a bath or not because we're not worried about our body. We're worried about our souls. What's this eating food in a standing posture? Uh, yeah, that's I've always been told that sit down and eat. <laughs> Yeah, even drinking water, sit down. Right? Why would we eat food in a standing posture? I think to limit the content, if you're standing and eating, then you're eating little bit. Yeah, I probably tell my kids ten times a day, like, sit down and eat. Sit, sit down. <laughs> Don't get up. Don't get up, right? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I would think that that would be my guess, is to make it so you're, it doesn't become an event. If eating becomes an event, then, well, you want something good and you want to have a nice table and you want to... It doesn't become a thing, an event in your life. It is just one thing that you do to keep living. If that's the case, if it's the way... Coming from subscriptures, I, it's exactly opposite what I've, I've heard oh, really? all the time from... I, I even remember an uh, instance where, uh, you know, we were uh, volunteers serving the food and uh, there's a pant called Ramsuri in, 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 in uh, Swetambar. There are two, two main saints, uh, Ramsuri and uh, Nemisuri. Ramsuri, I remember that distinctly, that if you are like, you know, if you put a kachori in your mouth uh, while you're serving, they'll make you sit right there. They'll bring you the entire thari and you have to eat over there. I mean, you basically is just a no-no to, to stand up and eat. It's but why? It's, again, I don't know the why. Right. I've, I've always we have to know that. To, dis- to make a decision on which one is better for our life, we have to know, know why. Another instance <laughs> I know that my, when we had Diksha of my kaka, he insisted, no matter how, 1,000 people or 2,000 people, he insisted that everybody has to sit down and eat. Right. We're not going to just feed, uh, we're not going to do a buffet. Right. So, I, I don't know why, but it's my understanding, based on what I've heard, it's uh, our relig- at least from religious sources that we should sit down and eat and not eat while just walking and standing. Uh, here's what I would think. Here's If I were to give a reason why we should sit down instead of stand up, I would say that, well, we want to be careful about what we're putting in our mouths. We don't want to mindlessly do it. We want to... Um, we want to make sure that it's the right thing, there are no insects, things like that. So that's what I would say. Uh, so now I have arguments on both sides, right? Standing and sitting and eating. I think here it, it doesn't talk about walking and eating or, or you know having it as buffet style, but just standing in a single <laughs> posture or basically you are... Eating in one shot versus standing up and eating? Is that what you're telling me? 
basically you are not roaming around and and eating like buffet normally what we do is we go to any uh, say marriage or you go to the stall and then the get so many stuff and then come back finish and then again go back so that is not i don't think that is what it says it of says course. you you just stand wherever you are right. in that place and and whatever portion you have taken you finish that at one go and that's it you're not going to the uh, you know multiple stations right. that is what i i am guessing here but yeah we can check and that and that would take care of our mindfulness problem like you can still correct. stand and pay attention to what you're eating yeah, right yeah. so questions on any of that so now we learn so this is just the one prayer it's the most important prayer because these 108 attributes basically comprise the whole of jain religion that you can think about while you say this one prayer so now we know what the words mean why we should well why we should bow down to these people what aspects we're trying to emulate right and then at the end we get this reminder that oh this is why i'm doing this this is the greatest of all prayers because it encompasses all of these things so now i think that our prayers based on last class and this class I think that our prayers could be much more effective. Questions or comments on any of that? Anybody try this week to think about what the words mean and felt differently about it or felt not differently about it? Anybody realize that they lapsed into their previous habits and then were saying prayers at night or were wishing for something or were thinking about something totally else while they were mouthing the words of the prayer? Yeah, I think I I was uh, being more conscious when I was praying this week, uh-huh. uh, and not wishing or asking for, uh, even though it was mostly to do with these uh, passions to not get something. Even then, I was thinking that maybe I should not ask for it. It should, it would come automatically, is what I. I We should ask ourselves for the strength to embody these characteristics. <laughs> yes, but if kids are sleeping, laying down, is it okay to say the Dharmamantra? Sure. So here's a here's an interesting question that goes one step behind your question, right? If I am saying the prayer for the kid, like who is getting what kind of benefit? Oh, no, right? I'm not. I am saying. I, I typically tell them to sit up. Say it with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I can say it with them. I typically tell them to sit up and say it. Right. Sometimes they're already laying oh, down. Okay. Like oh, okay. Oh, there's a problem laying down. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we just talked about standing up. That was. Um, so, the position you're in when you say the prayer does not matter unless it's affecting your ability to focus, focus. on what the okay. words mean. Because you can do yoga lying down. But if you fall asleep, then it's bad, right? But if you're focused and you do and you do the meditation lying down, some people do meditation lying down, right? That's fine. You can do prayer standing up. You can do meditation standing up. But then if you don't focus, if you focus on your legs hurting or whatever, then that defeats the point of the meditation. So you can do prayers lying down unless it defeats the point of the prayer. Other questions or comments? That's good. We need some more practical stuff. What I was interested in is like, I am I saying the prayer for my child, or am I getting any benefit from the prayer, or like, am I teaching them the prayer? But I think I should say it with them, and then that that would be helpful instead of me reciting the prayer in front of them. I'll send you guys this video for this. Uh, it's called Metro Park. It's like a, 
it's a Indian reality series, you know. And in the first episode, this family moves into a new house, so they call some pundit. You know, they don't they're not in this area, so they just like look up a pundit online and or Facebook and they're like, Oh, we're gonna call this guy. So he shows up and he you know, and um, he sits down and he has this like, you know, he's like, You have the eco friendly one. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, the e puja, right? And so the guy, you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So he brings, he brings this thing. He brings this thing. It's you know, and then you know, it's like, well, it's eco friendly, so there's no fire or anything, right? So it's a digital pad, you know. And then you know, there's a part of it where he's like, well, now it's your turn to put ghee, right? So you push the button, you know, and there's fire, and there's fire that like comes out of this digital, like it's a TV screen that we're all sitting around. And I'm like, hold on, this is brilliant. We should get this. Like, you know, do they sell this? Because this is what it's going to become, right? You know, that are you outsourcing your puja, right? Are you telling someone else in India to say, okay, well, you say it and I'm here, right? You know, and this happens in India too, right? Like someone's like, hey, I have to do, you know, I have to go to this place and do this darshan, right? Right, you know, like, you know, it's like, well, how does that help you? Or does it really help you, you know? Remember, we learned last time that <clears throat> puja is a form of physical prayer. So the actual coconut being there isn't the point. The actual fire being there isn't the point. The point is that it is more interruptions for you to stay focused and not have your mind be distracted. Thanks, everybody, for coming this week. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.